Well, welcome everyone to Citywide Next Steps podcast, the Tuesday podcast. We record it on Monday usually, um, so it's almost live. Uh, but it's our podcast where we talk about last Sunday's sermon, elaborate on it, grill the speaker, and, uh, and ho- hopefully you'll pick something up today. Um, but before we start, I'd like to, we'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the first Tasmanian peoples as traditional owners and custodians of the land we walk on. And we also pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and for their care for country, land and seas over the past thousands of generations. So with me today, I've got Anne Herbert. Um, Hello. In Cambridge, Cambridge, we'll call it. And then uh, Matt Garvin, who gave the sermon again. Matt, this is this is the last time for a few weeks where you have to give the sermon. So you've done a bit of a marathon. Yeah, it's nice. I'm going to have a bit of a break for a few weeks. It's over to you guys, which will be nice. Yeah. Okay, that's good. And Anne's on next Sunday, so that's why she just went a little bit... <laughs> so, <laughs> we look for that. But Matt, you've done you've done a pretty big job of this one. Last week in the podcast, you said that you've been seeing this teaching coming on Matthew 23, 24 for quite a while, sort of braced for it. But I think you would almost say that you've enjoyed the challenge. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I knew that there was somewhere I wanted to get, but I, I also knew that it would mean digging deep and having to um, tackle things in a way that I haven't had to tackle them before. But it, it was encouraging to hear from somebody just relaying this morning that their mother was saying it was a relief for her to hear us teaching on this stuff because she hasn't heard it being taught in church before and it just confirmed to her what her sense was that God had been saying to her all along. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, so... I, I've had and a number of people saying they really appreciate it. use the term "good meat" or "filled up" or use the sense that the, the the going they've enjoyed sort of wrestling and going deeper and feeling like they're getting uh, I don't know, sustenance or something from from the the engagement with the Bible. So so that's been encouraging. Um, but yeah, I did see it coming for a while. I knew it wasn't going to be light, and uh, and I and it's been great. Uh, but it's also <laughs> made me think, like, if we ever did Revelation, it would be like doing this these four, three or four weeks for a whole year. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure about that. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yep. Cool. That's great. And, and have you heard many comments about this teaching series, 24, 23? I have, and they've all been really positive. Um, people have really appreciated um, the way you've clearly... Um, uh, unpacked it on mm. what at times can be um, hard to understand. I think people really, ex- the ones I've spoken to, really appreciated you um, explaining that you know the importance of um, the words just gone out of my head. There's hermeneutics, Herm- and, hermeneutics, yeah, and exegesis, the exegesis. You know yeah. that real the, the you know the importance of actually understanding the context and. Mm the literary and historical um, background as well as the actual content of the of what we're reading and and how much that can help inform and grow our own understanding so i think people have appreciated the way you've applied that in the sermons mm-hmm. um, and i think and i don't i i will say this for myself too that um, you've brought a, a different way of understanding uh, some things that we've like um, that we've just taken for granted, you know. Probably, as you say, because we've just you know heard it through the, uh, um, the you know the social you know the media and that kind of thing around like left behind and so forth. Um, mm. In mm. a way that has and it's so biblically based and that's been good. Yeah. So yes, mm. there's been a lot of appreciation. Mm. And, and don't get us wrong, we love a bit of sensationalism and science fiction. We take that for entertainment more. Mm. Yeah. So I've been hearing people saying things like they've been quite challenged because what they've been taught quite strongly for their lives, especially the 80s, 90s, I think, was about the rapture and the second coming and all this. And and so some of the stuff you've been covering, Matt, has been quite challenging to that to that way of thinking. Um, one of the comforts I get out of it is you keep saying that no one knows the time and if anyone says they do, then just discard them. 
Uh, and so I can discard half of what you're saying, which is great. But, <laughs> so, but um, no, it's been, it's um, been pretty enlightening. So I, I know last week the passage um, that, that really stuck out was it two weeks ago. Um, just that uh, we're going to talk about one of them again today as well, one of these things. Well, today, today's one we're going to be talking about, that there will be two people in a field and one will be taken and one will stay. It doesn't yeah. actually say who gets taken, who gets stayed, but it actually implies that the Christian is the one who stayed, or the, sorry, the one who is victorious is the one who will stay, just yeah. like Noah um, in, in the ark was able to yes. save his family and the others were taken. Yeah. yeah, so it's interesting yeah. reading that I, I hadn't read it that way before. No, neither had I. Mm. And it's nice because it kind of opens your eyes and you think, oh, yeah, that is a possible way of reading this mm. and, and even mm. probable, yeah, as, as you read yeah. it, as you study it further. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, That's my hope for us as a church family and for people engaging with what we're doing, that it encourages people to do the work. Mm. Uh, I, I worry about... Uh, people who who who, are, who just assume that they the way they've always read the Bible is what the Bible is actually saying because it's mm. most probably not. Uh, yeah. It's 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 deeper and richer and broader than than any Sunday school um, learnings you've picked up along the way, and and there is a it's just really. It, I, I love diving into the Bible because I find life in it, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, I, I find boredom when I just bring my existing worldview and plonk it on top of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, yeah. yeah. So you don't mind a good Russell challenge? No, I love yeah. it. Now, the nice thing last Sunday was you, you began looking at the what are you looking forward to question. You read from Revelation 21, I think it was, um, just about the, the the beauty of the restored restoration that God does. Yeah. Um, which I don't think we'll read that passage right now, but that was Revelation 21 verses. I think it was the whole chapter almost, was it? No, it was first 15 verses. Yeah. Um, but I, I think what I was trying to communicate is I'd love people uh, to read those last two chapters of the, of the Bible and, and and have it as part of their reference system as much as the first two chapters of the Bible are. Mm-hmm. Genesis one and two is is pretty foundational in Christian teaching. People understand that the Garden of Eden and you know created in God's image and the foundation for marriage and all kinds of things are, are there um, and and beautiful. But the last two chapters of the Bible. Uh, the counterpoint to that, and and they frame the whole Bible, the first two and the last two chapters. But I think for most people, they start reading Revelation and get stuck at about chapter three or four, and then mm-hmm. stop reading Revelation. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's the last two chapters that are the vision of the end of the story, and, and that's why it's essential and beautiful. Mm-hmm. The, the picture of God finally just being free to dwell with us and hang out with us, and and life being completely different. Mm-hmm. So. So I, yeah, I, I enjoy just reading those, the first 15 uh, verses of uh, chapter 21. Mm. Um, and, and I think, and I, I did, I apologise to everybody who's been in church and thought that the point was getting to heaven uh, because there, it has become part of our culture to think that, you know, I, I become a Christian so I get to heaven when I die. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches heaven's coming to earth, uh, and it's going to be uh, everything is going to be renewed. Mm. All, I'm making all things new, and it's going to be a, it's going to be not an ethereal reality, but a physical reality, and it's going to be fantastic. Um, mm. But so that's anyway. I'll stop prattling on. But for me, I, I'm amazed, like just how pervasive that idea of going to heaven when you die. Uh, and that that's kind of what we're trying to do uh, is. Yeah. I guess the risk with that kind of thinking too is that you don't put that much store in what what happens here, um, hmm. here as in, in our lives, that um, the focus is somewhere else at in a future time, some future yeah. kind of um, place, but... It's almost like an escapism 
Whereas Jesus is very clear, isn't he, that um, we are, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah. And, and, and he expects us to be involved yeah. in God's work and building his kingdom here and now. That's right. Towards that end aim of the new creation. Mm. And it's right, like Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 spends all this time talking about the new creation, the, what your new body is going to be like, how good it's going to be, all that sort of stuff. And, and then he finishes that whole chapter by saying, get about your work now because this is the future. How, what you think the future is going to be changes how you live your life now. And, and I think because we've had a, a picture in mind of a future that's sort of not here but somewhere else and that all this stuff we're doing here doesn't really matter at all because it's really the, the good thing we're going to, um, I think it's, yeah, it's been dangerous. Um, bad, bad theology leads to a bad ways of living, I think. Yep. There'll be a bunch of questions around <laughs> those statements. So, for example, I know a lot of people take great comfort in knowing that when I get to heaven, I will be reunited with lost family members or I take great hope in, you know, and it, so there'll be a bunch of these questions, maybe after the, because we're about to do three parables over the next three weeks that actually reemphasize some of this. Maybe mm. after that we need to take a bunch of questions and then have a Q&A. Because yeah. there are a whole bunch of questions that I would like to ask and see if we can find the answers in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, well, fun, I think, yeah, yeah but yeah. I think what was interesting is if this is a new creation and it's made up of those who have embraced um, God's way and you know what Jesus mm. calls us to do, because um, it says you will be made new in Jesus and you will become... and, and um, that's one of the other things, you know, like now we see dimly, then we will see face to face. I think that's just, that's something amazing. But um, I can't, my mind kind of struggles with just the enormity of that. But hmm. um, there is a, it, there's a sense in which all of us who are part of this kingdom vision get to share in that kingdom vision. Hmm. That includes... Um, that crowd of wit cloud of witnesses that mm. Hebrews talks. I think it's Hebrews, or is mm. it no? Mm. Um, that, uh, yeah, um, who are there barracking us on? No, yeah, 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 mm. yeah. Come on, get it onto it. And it's like um, I don't know how it's going to work, but somehow or another, we're going to recognise them all in these new bodies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, and be able to enjoy. And I think that menti we did the Mentimeter yesterday about what people yeah. thought um, they might enjoy or see or would experience if, in this new world. And I remember that one of the things was meeting, was actually being able to spend time and, with family and friends mm. again. Yeah. So I'm going to pop that off on the screen now because I was about to go there. Um, what are you most looking forward to in the new heaven and the new earth? Um, so there's, do you, and do you want to read out some of the ones that stand out to you here? Oh, okay then. Well, the biggest one there is uh, meet peace and meeting Jesus, um, and then we've got other ones which, I think, if they'd been exactly the same words, they would be really big, and that's the no more pain, pain, no suffering, um, no more sickness, which are all around the same kind of thing. Um, and like no cancer is in there, a few other ones like that. Complete understanding is another one. No greed. So no, that selfishness that drives um, trauma and all of that, that goes, sorrow goes, um, no deception. So, yeah, um, it's, it's there's harmony. There's, yeah, then there's all kinds of other things that kind of pick up on mm. On that mm. in different ways but I think I saw somewhere and I can't see it really easily here but I know um, there were different words used by different people basically along the lines of friends and family and mm. so because there are different words they're tiny but if they'd all been the same word they'd be coming up bigger yeah, on my right. screen or well, seeing yeah. loved ones and seeing yes, mother and father and yes that's right few of those kinds of things are there. Yeah. No mortgage or below 3% can 
I think someone wrote <laughs> that. <laughs> and I also, uh, yeah. someone wrote being with Chris, which is an autocorrect <laughs> error. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think oh, it might be real. But, yeah, you're right, and there's, there's the no mores, which is the stuff that we don't want here um, but we still have to struggle through. There's, yeah. there's a, probably a third of these are no more, no mores. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm. and these things to look forward to. But it's interesting because as soon as we start talking about heaven, I, I, I am conscious that I jump back to pro possibly what you would call superstition or false teaching as part of my framework of what's in my mind. And, and so it's, I've always wanted to get into a deep study of this in the Bible. Matt, there's one book you keep mentioning, um, Reading the Bible for All It's Worth, I think it is. Yes, that's, that that's in terms of learning about exegesis and hermeneutics. It's hard to go past that. So mm. Should we take this thing off the screen now? Or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but also, if for people who want to do work on heaven and understand the, the long-term trajectory, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. Yeah. It's right yeah. up there. It's one of the um, best books on the subject I've come across. Yeah. And, uh, I got uh, That was so refreshing. I got such mm. a lot out of reading that book. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, so it's pretty those strong. Yeah. yeah. So if people want to learn more, go and read that yeah. book in particular. And it's and he's written it in a very straightforward kind of way, so it's accessible for people yeah. to get get hold of in when they're reading. Mm. Yeah. So I think what we'll do, let's read the passage. Um and if I pop this on the screen, are you okay to read it for us? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is Matthew okay. twenty four, verse thirty six to fifty one. Okay, but about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not ex expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, I will put him in charge of all my possessions." But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of this, that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Anne. So there's probably three sections to this one. We'll, we'll hit the first section up the top. So, Matt, do you want to take us through that a little bit more? Yeah. Well, I mean, the the very first thing Jesus says, that, that first verse, I think, like, it's just such a counterpoint to everything you said in the 35 verses before that, like, it, where it's been sort of in, really encoded and uh, complex and pointing towards the destruction of the temple and stuff. Now he says one sentence, and I really think that is the truth, that all the next verses right the way through to the end of chapter 25 are unpacking. This one mm -hmm. this one verse where he says, about that day or hour, because he's now going back to the question they originally asked him, you know, when are you coming? About that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the sun but only the Father. And so uh, I didn't get to unpack this um, 
as thoroughly as I'd like to in the sermon, but but it just gives us another insight into the fact that Jesus was fully human and he wasn't omniscient. He didn't come and have shortcuts on earth. Uh, he he was limited in his knowledge, and so he didn't know. And so his answer to the question, "When are you coming back?" is, uh, "I don't know." But mm, only the Father knows. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that that in itself, there's a whole bunch of thinking to do around all that. That that that, yeah. that one insight that Jesus is fully human uh, and fully yeah. God, which has been yeah. a core teaching of the church uh, right through since the Nicene. Uh, council and the you know some of the heresies they had to fight against. Um, so yeah, well, even important. with the even with the Trinitarian theology, this is an interesting piece of one but not the same mm-hmm. three different yeah, three absolutely. persons, one God. Um, but Jesus didn't doesn't know when he will be coming back. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it does have to do with the fact that he chose to enter time and space in human form. Yeah. And for that period of time, it limited um, other aspects of, that, of his godness. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Now, the good news is that there are a lot of people through history who have known when Jesus was coming back. So, Matt, you were going to show us a list of these yeah, yeah, I, on the screen. So, if you, I, if you were happy, I love this. Like, Jesus is so clear that no one knows, uh, but except for these people. Except for all these people who have been very definite about when Jesus is coming back, and uh, so far, look, they've all been wrong. <laughs> uh, from Hippolytus, who was the first one to go on the record and say, "No, Jesus is definitely coming back in the year 500 AD." Uh, then we've got 793. Uh, Pope Sylvester was sure it was going to be the year first well, of January. I'd be, the year yeah, I'd be up with him. I mean, that's got such a nice round sort of. Oh, one, yeah. one, one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the Roman calendar system is the one that God uses as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, and, and I don't know if anyone's pointed out to, to Pope, he probably didn't realise, but the, the, the Gregorian calendar's out by about eight years, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, um, but you can see uh, Thomas Munzer, uh, there's a whole bunch, 1694. I was interested just going through this, like John Wesley thought it was going to be 1836, mm. then the Millerites, 1844. There's a whole bunch. Uh, uh, whole, this is the, the Mormons started by thinking in the, uh, 1891. Uh, the J Dubs, 1914. The Moonies, either 1917, between 1917 and 90, 1930. Rudolf Steiner, the 30 to 39. Herbert W. Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God. Well, actually, they had four, four goes at it. Uh, um, uh, there was uh, a, move, a group of people within SD, Seventh-day Adventism that was 1964. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch. Jerry Fowl had a go at it, uh, and uh, he thought it was going to be between 1999 and 2009. Mm-hmm. A bunch more. But if you go here, there's still three, there's three or four to come. Oh, actually, they've just added one, I think. So 2024, after 2025, 2029, and by 2057. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. Uh, and in this instant, I wish the J-dubs were right because 1914 would have been a great time for Jesus to come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, not that we would have known about it because none of us would have been around. But, yeah. um, and and we're, we're, having, we're having a laugh about these, but some of them are pretty serious. Some oh. of them people base their whole life around um, and make life-changing decisions based on the mm. fact that Jesus will be back at that time. And, Matt, you also said that um, 40% of a, a um, survey done in America said that 40% of Americans believe Jesus will be coming back before 2050. Yeah, that's right. I, I, and I, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I actually, uh, I was going to see if I could pull that up. There was a quote where I got that from. But I don't, mm. I don't know if I'll be able to pull it up in time. But it, um... Well, it's the sad thing for us, just because you're a man, you can't do two things at once. But the sad thing for us is that, that, that um, I, well, I think Christians, since Jesus leaving, ascending, Christians have been expecting him to come back in their lifetime. But um, we, we still, I reckon I hear it almost every week, that Jesus will be coming back soon. Um, and that is actually the right way to live, yeah, it's just when you're really sure when mm. that's mm. the problem. Mm. Yeah, 
like it is right to kind of expect him to come back because he's saying expecting, expecting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I think the other thing that you drew out um, was that uh, we'll be just doing our ordinary everyday thing, like mm-hmm. in the days of Noah. What were they doing? They were working, they were having kids, they were getting married, they were doing all the normal things that people do. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing. there was nothing to tell them that something different was about to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Although, you know, uh, yes, yeah, so we just yeah. we expect nice to just do all our ordinary everyday things, but to do yeah. it prepared for something different. Sorry. Uh, for the, for those who've been, uh, I went to Gethsemane a few, couple of years ago, and there's actually one of those mills that the two women would have been at, um, right in the Gethsemane mm. Gardens, where you can actually see the the, the mill where, that he would have had in his mind as he explained that vision. Oh, okay. Just, just nice mm. things to reinforce what Jesus said. Okay, how'd you go, Matt? It's here. I was going to see if I can uh, um, share it with you. It is uh, an, an article uh, uh, from uh, where did it come from? Uh, Rolling Stone, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and I'll see what that's a. I don't know if I can. There we go. I can make the text a bit bigger. Can, mm-hmm. uh, Okay, I'm just going to flick it on. Oh, yeah, I, just, I, I just flicked it on and flicked it off. Uh, there we go. Uh, so, so there's a whole bunch of stuff here. There's a whole, and they're they're trying to show how this that faulty eschatology. This is the Rolling Stone talking about what we were talking about on Sunday, uh, and talking about the the left behind kind of uh, approach to things, and. It, it says, and they're trying to demonstrate how that went into prepare the ground for Donald Trump, which is interesting. Uh, and he says, these ideas, which have been called heretical by Catholics and mainline Protestants, of which it should be said, I'm now one, uh, but to the roughly 80 million evangelicals in the US, they have become a dominant, one might say even the dominant strain of the faith. According to the Pew Research Center, 41% of Americans think that Jesus will definitely 23% or probably 18% return to earth by the year 2050. A full 58% of white evangelicals hold this view. And they go on to talk about the Left Behind series. And so this is an, an article uh, from, let's have a look at the date. Let's see if I can pull that up there. Uh, Last edited 17th of August. but no. Yeah, that was probably when I loaded up to my... Mm. Sorry about that. I don't know if it's got the date at the bottom there. Anyway, so it's from Rolling Stone. You can Google that for yourself, but it's got a whole bunch of stats there. And this is kind of what I'm saying, that the way you think the story ends shapes how you live today. Uh, and there's a, I don't think we realise how profoundly the, uh, the insights of one man in particular, uh, Darby, went on to impact the whole church. And that there was a, there were there are all kinds of socio political implications of that. Do you know, I don't know if people realise that there was a little association, a global, a global global declaration that Israel should be returned to Israel, uh, signed around the turn of the twentieth uh, century to this from the it's called the Balfour Declaration, uh, which is, uh, and there was a whole society set up to re-establish a political kingdom of Israel because of these views. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that there are, I don't want to head too far down this path, but there are, there are a whole bunch of people who would say that uh, the temple has to be rebuilt and they have to reinstitute the sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of stuff around all that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, all that, feeds into why so many Americans are pro-Israel. Uh, and so so it has socio-political ramifications mm. that are profound, particularly for like I, I for the Palestinian Christians who are stuck between the Muslim world and the and the Jewish world there and uh, mm. and uh, one of the most disadvantaged groups in the world. Um, mm. so the whole there's a whole lot of stuff in there. But I think what I'm wanting to, I, I more and more 
I was talking to my wife about this. Um, one, of, one of the questions is, how do you know what's true? Because all these people, there's, there's all these books about, you know, and there, and there are seminars and all kinds of things. Hmm. And I, I, the more I boil it down, the, the way I try and make sense of it is um, Paul told us the same thing Jesus told us. Jesus told us the, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Uh, look for the fruit. It's kind of, and then Paul says, Here, let's describe the fruit. And he talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. That, that people who are coming from a worldview that is m- more in line with the truth are more likely to be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people who are coming from a worldview that is heading in a different direction are probably less likely mm-hmm. to be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And so, mm-hmm. so that's, that's just something to keep in the back of your mind next time you're having a theological argument with someone. Try, try and work out, okay, where does this leave me? Anyway, so it's a whole other, there's a whole other tangent. I want to, I want to do more work on mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But, but it does feel like this way of seeing the world uh, and naming dates and having very detailed charts about how it's all going to work and mm. uh, and having picking sides in socio-political battles based on your eschatology um, has pretty significant ramifications in terms of mm. what it means to love your neighbours and a whole bunch of other things like that. Um, so mm. there's... A, um, like, it, some of it's craziness and, and scary. Um, this way of thinking, this paradigm, has led us to a bunch of Christians uh, in America at the moment talking about the uh, sin of empathy um, uh, because if you identify with people too much you might find yourself too affected by them and 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 you've got to have a you've got to you know the real issue is whether they're going to hell when they die or not and you can't over empathize with people uh, anyway that's an oversimplification you can google that but you can see there's been a whole discussion happening in the Christian church. And, and again, I, I really worry when we get too stuck in ideas mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden people go missing and somehow for empathy to become a sin, mm-hmm. something's going wrong somewhere. You know? mm-hmm. so I, have to... I sort of think of, of Jesus and how when he saw the crowd, he had compassion. Yeah. And it changed how he, I mean, it didn't, I mean, he was who he was, but he responded by reaching out to them and meeting needs that they had. And it's interesting that, um, you know, what he says at the end of Chapter 24 is he talks about the person as wisdom being the one who actually meets the needs of others, who's actually using the resources that God has given them to reach out Mm. and offer those to the people around them. Well done for bringing us back on track, Anne. That was, that was, <laughs> yeah. uh, because, because it is, it's, it's so important. It's so true. Well, I think that's where I land. Like, ultimately, the question is, are you becoming more like Jesus or not? Yeah. Are you becoming more in his character or not? And, and what he says, it's like you're saying, um, that uh, the faithful servant, as he describes, is somebody who mm-hmm. is giving people their food or the... the so we can pull up the um, what what he's ac- he's actually saying there. Um, he he says, "Who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time?" That the the faithful servant is one who's not thinking about themselves, who's not having ideological arguments, who is serving and and loving other people. Yeah, um, and I was thinking about that line, you know, that you know, serving, you know, the household, because um, you know, for us in our Western Australian community, households can be quite small. They can just be the nuclear household, and mm. with a slightly extended family beyond, you know, including you know, grandma and granddad and aunts and uncles and so forth. But um, the kind of um, household, I guess Jesus would have been referring to the Middle Eastern households of that time. And um, I read a book, Daughter of Persia, which was about um, 
uh, a woman who grew up in a um, an Iranian household um, in the early 1900s, I think it was, it was as a child, and she described the household that her father had and that the servants served others. And it was this massive community. Yeah. It was, you know, he had servants and he had the families of the servants. And, and so he, um, and through his servants, he looked after not just his daughters and his sons and his wives. Mm. He looked after the servants and their their families and so forth. And it, it went out from there. It was a, a really big community of people who got looked after. Mm. And, and one of the major themes Jesus uses right the way through the book of Matthew is the idea that we're God's kids. Mm. He uses the word children. I don't know how many times in the book of Matthew. Mm. Uh, and, and the idea that, that I think we're, we're to be caring for our brothers and sisters in the family is kind of is is, is taking that literal metaphor that Middle Eastern family and saying, look, look around. Your family's a lot bigger than you think, and your task yeah. isn't to be here for yourself; it's to be there for here for them. Yeah. Or, or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the church is only the church when it's here for others. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next Sunday where John's going to be preaching the same sermon on the sheep and the goats. And I think sure it's, we'll be... it's in a couple of Sundays' time, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. You've got to we... before then. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward, just... looking yeah, forward yeah. to the, um, the, the, you know, the whole Protestant thing is I'm saved by grace. And mm. it's because of my faith I do works. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, I'm looking forward to hearing working but, through uh, that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep butting in. I've just got an idea there and I don't want to lose it. So I'm sorry. It. And I do want to let you finish. Um, uh, I'm finished. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. Um, I was talking about this with Matt and Dan actually uh, on the Thursday when we were talking about this particular part of the passage and um, how for me one of the challenges is, you know, Jesus taught us how to pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, mm. your will be done, your kingdom come. And and um, and then he says, and give us this day our daily bread. And one of the challenges for me, and I can't say it's an original idea of mine, it might have come from someone else, but the idea that when we ask that prayer, this isn't just about us being selfishly seeking our needs to be met, but it is actually about seeking for God as we're meeting the kingdom needs, as we're you know seeking for the kingdom purposes to be done, that we we can become instruments for God to use us in helping to meet the needs of others. So when you pray your, you know, you know, for the meeting our essential needs, um, maybe he mm. wants to use us to help meet the essential needs of somebody else who has the same needs. Yeah. yeah. yeah I love that picture that the faithful servant is the ones who are feeding others, that yeah. they're not meeting their own needs. Mm. Uh, and... It's actually that what I, there's a bit I kind of missed in the sermon that comes next, where he says, "The unfaithful servant is the the one who who thinks uh, my master is taking a long time, uh, and then gets about meeting their own needs." They uh, it says and begins to beat his fellow servants to eat and drink with drunkards, uh, so. They don't think because they don't think the master's coming back. They don't think they're accountable. Uh, and when you don't think you're accountable, then you organise things to meet your own needs. Uh, mm. And uh, and it's about satisfying your physical cravings. It's about uh, taking your frustrations out on other people. It's it's about it, it's and and we see that in our culture. Uh, and 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 so that's where. Jesus takes us then to talk about the ultimate accountability and and kind of implicit in all his teaching is that there is actually an ultimate accountability. There is a dividing line uh, but mm. between those who, C.S. Lewis says, say to God, thy will be done, or those who sadly, God looks them in the eyes and say, okay, well, you can have what you want. Mm. Uh, and... And C.S. Lewis makes the point in all that, well, 
God will God won't take people's choice away from them. He's not going to send them to hell without them volunteering. To, that's where they want to go. But C.S. Lewis is arguing that there is a that that's people's the product of people's choice, and that ultimately there is accountability in it all. Mm. Um, but it's it's this profound idea that uh, you can give yourself uh, and and live because of who God, God God loves you. You can live focused on others, or if you're going to focus on yourself. You're, on, you're in dangerous territory. Mm. I guess, um, too, what the wise and faithful servant did was adopt the values of the mm. owner of the house. Yeah. Um, and so that he didn't need to, if you like, a, a whip cracking in and says, oh, I better be doing this because the mask might come back tomorrow oh, 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 and I don't want to get into trouble. No, he, in his faithfulness and his wisdom, he... Um, for that him those values were, were important yeah. so whether the master was coming back or not he was going to be exercised his his actions were going to reflect his values yeah mm. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. now we haven't we, we kind of touched on the the rapture bit um mm. uh, and, we, and, and and really what we've already said is probably as much as you, you need to say about it that that the the bit that's often talked about with the rapture about two being in a field one taken one comes directly as we saw in the bible reading comes directly after jesus talked about noah mm -hmm. uh, and where he actually uses the language the flood came and took them all away that's how it will be with the coming of the son of man two men will be left in a field one will be taken the other left Two women will be grinding in a handmill. One will be taken, and the other left. So you're really talking about the handmills and the grinding. But uh, many people have read that saying, "Okay, uh, the Christians are going to be taken, and all the non-Christians are going to be left." And one of the biggest fears in Christianity in the '80s was being left behind. Uh, mm. It was the basis of a book and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, whereas there is what all Bible scholars agree on is you can read that two ways. Uh, either the Christians will be taken or the Christians will be left. In my view, the, and in in the view of the, the uh, sort of an exegetical commentary author that I was reading about, um, it's actually the Christians who are left to to be faithful stewards of the new creation. You know, to, that's, the, that's kind of the point. Um, uh, mm. So... Mm -hmm. Just want to. It's one of those ones where we encourage people to do their own Bible study. Um, to, it's because it, at, at one level, it doesn't matter. It, it, one of those two things is true, and at some point, we're all going to find out. Um, mm. But it, but it's also tr important not just to be reading the Bible through the lens of our um, cultural conditioning. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm just feeling a big need to do a lot more study on this. <laughs> right. You know, as you were just talking about that, um, Matt, Matt I, um, there are some words in Ezekiel where he talks about um, a river, a stream that starts at the, mm. um, in the Holy of Holies in the temple mm. and it starts as this tiny little trickle from the altar and then it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, goes mm. under the temple walls, and, and then a man goes in and measures it, and it gets deeper and wider and deeper and deeper, wider, wider. And it says that um, all these wonderful things grew at the edges of this river, and it mm. teemed with life in, in the you know, fish life, you name it. It was mm. this amazingly beautiful, productive, nurturing um place that came yeah. out of God's goodness and love and and I, I mentioned this to somebody it was when I was on the board of Baptist World Aid Australia and he said to me you know he said it's such a shame that these days when we have beautiful things like rivers we pollute them yeah. we, we 
we take all the good things that God's given us and we spoil them mm. with our selfish ambitions and things like that. And I guess because we're talking about a new creation that is fully formed in the in God's and in, in the mm. mind in, in the in Jesus's um, and God's image. Um, the value that we place and the stewardship we take on mm. enables that beauty that he has created to remain beautiful and keep being sustained. And and so, yes, yeah, so if you're going to, so, yes, it, I only just thought then about, you know, so if, if it's the faithful wise servant who's, who's left behind, they are the ones who have the capacity to manage because they're, um, they've actually already proved that they can look after a new creation. Um, and as God Absolutely. And, and I think um, one of the things that Jesus says, if uh, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Kind of mm. referring back to that picture in Ezekiel, mm. this, this new creation life that ultimately we see in Revelation, this this river of life that goes through the new Jerusalem. Yeah. But there's this sense in which we are, you know, the 2 Corinthians 5, we are the new creation. Whoever, whoever is in Christ, the old new, new creation is, you know, mm-hmm. is, is the new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that we are meant to be the first fruits mm-hmm. of this, emerging kingdom and it would make a lot more sense for those first fruits to be nurtured and cared for as jesus comes back than to get destroyed um so that jesus or paul makes it clear that there there is some connection between what we do now and what the future is when he talks about uh there's a foundation laid, which is jesus christ and anyone can build on that foundation with stuff that's going to get burnt up wood hay and straw or with stuff that's going to last gold silver and precious stone and that our task is to build with the stuff that's going to last and somehow is going to have eternal consequences mm-hmm. again i feel like there are so many directions we could go in this conversation and we and we are we're sort of traversing lots and lots of deep and wide ground and we're just sort of skipping over the surface of it mm-hmm. that's that's the beauty of this text and the beauty of that's why i i love teaching the bible and and i know there are many churches who focus on topical teaching where you pick a topic and then do it. but i i love dedicating a chunk of our year each year to a a bit of the bible because mm. it forces you to face stuff like honestly i don't know if i would voluntarily have taught matthew 24 uh, except that it was what was next, you know? Mm. But I'm glad we did because it opens these kinds of conversations. It yeah. gets to go deeper at a, a level that is really good to be able to do. Yeah. 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 It's, well, thank you for having the courage to do that, Matt. We appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> so as we as we tie things up, what's the one thing you want people to go away with? Well, for me, I think it's what Jesus is saying. It's so important to live today from the perspective of the, the new creation that's coming. Mm. But don't get caught up in the all the science fiction around it and how it's going to work and don't panic about all that sort of stuff. Don't, mm. don't need to fear. But there's this incredible, beautiful future we can all look forward to. And if you live with that in view, then life makes sense and is a lot more enjoyable. Um, so mm. I think, so I, I think it's, I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand that it really matters. You are accountable. You can't just like wasting a day is a big deal, mm. um, because you don't get an infinite amount of them. That doesn't. I don't think that's an invitation to work twenty four seven though. That, like Jesus didn't. He rested. Like, it, but it, but but being self, what's clear is being self absorbed 
is deadly. Mm-hmm. Seeking to meet your own needs is deadly. Um, yeah. But I, 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 you can see, I, my, I've, I've in this conversation, I've gone all over the place trying to capture the the heart of it because mm-hmm. uh, there's yeah. so many implications of all we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but at one level, it's a really simple truth: Jesus mm-hmm. is coming back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the takeout for me is um, just, you know, like live your ordinary everyday life doing the normal kind of things and that's fine, but you have choices about how you do that and the way you do that, you can do it wisely and faithfully or you can do it um, with the emphasis on yourself. And, um, and if we're seriously committed to loving God and loving our neighbour as we love ourselves, then um, we will we will be God's people mm-hmm. here and now and um, in the future to come. Mm. Yeah, that's that's where I was heading to, Anne. Exactly. Mm-hmm. To, to live as though live knowing that Christ is coming back, mm-hmm. um, and possibly in my lifetime, and then to love God with everything I've got and love my neighbour as myself. Yeah, yeah not, not get fixated on myself and my own survival and it's all about me. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, I think we'll finish up there. That probably raises as many questions as it answers. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but we'll, we'll finish up. Keep chatting in the in the chats wherever you find this podcast uh, or, this, or on YouTube. We'd love to hear your thoughts. End times should provoke some conversations and some of the things Matt said probably get a reaction from some of you so yeah jot them down have the courage to actually say say some things that you've been learning mm-hmm. yeah not just the bits you disagree with but you can also comment on oh no i actually agree with this or that's new for me or yeah anyway so thanks guys for joining us matt and Anne, and um we'll look forward to your teaching next sunday and so if anyone wants to join you thank can catch you. us on youtube as well um you. live so yes. great okay. thanks guys we'll finish up there bye now